Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of A Light Unto My Path podcast. I am your host, Howard Sides, and we're continuing our study today in the book of Revelation. Uh, currently, we're in chapter 14, and we've made it to verse 8. And this is the second of uh, three sections of chapter 14. Um, at the beginning of the podcast, I'd like to break it down for you, so you just have those if you're making notes, or if not, it just kind of helps you keep up with where we're at. <clears throat> um, so chapter 14 can be divided into three parts. Again, the first part, verses 1 through 5, uh, describes the special company in heaven. Verses 6 through 13 is the second part, which describes a special commission in heaven. And then the final section, verses 14 through 20, talks about a special command in heaven. So there's a company, a commission, and a command. And the special commission, again, talks about, um, is broken up into three parts. The first is concerning belief in verses 6 through 7. Uh, verse 8 is concerning Babylon. And verses 9 through 13 is concerning the beast. So today, in verse 8, we're going to discuss this topic of concerning Babylon. And within this verse, uh, it gives us two uh, parts of, of this thought of concerning Babylon. First of all, the ruin. And then second, the reason. The ruin, and then finally, the reason. So uh, let's read our portion of Scripture. And then we'll get right into it. All right, Revelation chapter 14 and verse 8. And it says, And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. All right, so uh, in describing and thinking of this thought about the ruin, uh, look at that first phrase there. It says, and there followed another angel. Another angel. Okay, so this is a different angel for a different task. Now, the first angel come out uh, here in verse 6. And it says, I saw another angel. Uh, and you'll see that phrase a lot. Another angel, another angel. Uh, there's different angels with different tasks. And we really don't know how many angels there are. Um now, the Bible at least describes uh, or, or at least tells us that there is 10,000 times 10,000 in, in the book of Revelation earlier. Uh, it mentions that number, so we know there's at least that many. But as far as a specific number, we're never given that. Uh, we know there are different categories or different uh uh, ranks and different files of angels. There are cherubims, there are seraphims, uh, uh, there are, uh, you know, all different ones. We know some are, that are given the name, Michael and Gabriel. Uh, other than that, we're not really told a lot. There's many uh, books out there written about angels. I actually have one of them that breaks them all down into the different ranks. I don't know where they get this information from. Uh, didn't come from the Bible, I can tell you that. So I think the majority of it's speculation. Um, but it does make sense. Um, but anyway, so we know it, that there's this 
another angel here, and it's a different angel for a different task. Uh, and uh, the pulpit commentary makes the com uh, statement here about that. It says, and I quote, each new scene is unfolded by its own special messenger, end quote. And, and, we know, and we'll know that because when we start the third section in verse 9, it starts off with the phrase, uh, and the third angel followed uh, them, saying with a loud voice. So <laughs> each one of them is, uh, have, has its own angel. Now, from verse uh, verses 6 through 10, we have seven angels mentioned. Uh, the first three are heralds. Uh, the one in the middle is uh, described like unto the Son of Man. And then the last three are what we would call harvesters. Now, this is not what their rank is, but this is basically describing the actions that they undertake. The first three are giving a message. Uh, the one in the middle is described differently, and then the last three are harvesters. So here uh, in verse 6 down through verse 20, there's seven. Again, there's that number, a number of perfection. Seven angels mentioned. Uh, the next phrase, it says, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Uh, now, in 1990 through 1992, many people tried to associate this passage of Scripture with the events going on during Desert Shield and Desert Storm. Now, ancient Babylon, if you don't know this, uh, it is located in Iraq, and during that time, Saddam Hussein was in the midst of a massive rebuilding project where he wanted to rebuild ancient Babylon as it used to be, and then claimed to be the heir of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, how was he going to do that? He was going to claim to be the reincarnated heir of King Nebuchadnezzar and reestablish the Babylonian uh, uh, government and the system. Now, if you want to, uh, you can Google. Uh, there are many pictures out there of some of the parts of the city uh, that had been renovated and rebuilt just like they were. Um, there, there's, um, pictures of the wall, uh, uh, that, that's the background of where Nebuchadnezzar's throne was, and this supposedly is where, uh, God wrote on the wall saying that he was displeased with, uh, Babylon and all that. Uh, there are, uh, pictures of the bricks, and I'm, I'm reading from the captions here, I, I've, seen them several times but anyway um uh the bricks uh had ne nebuchadnezzar's date stamped on them from about around 400 bc and it basically says that he was responsible for the empire of babylon as prosperity uh when saddam was rebuilding uh he had the bricks built into the walls just as nebuchadnezzar did although saddam's bricks say that he is responsible for the rebuilding of babylon and will someday rule the empire versus Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and then uh, there's the famous picture of the, uh, I forget what it's called, this the something gate, uh, but it's blue and it's got these pictures of the lions on it and things like that, big arched gateway. Uh, yeah, he, he was well on his way. And there's no telling how much uh, money he put into it, how many people he'd starved and died of starvation just so he could, try and claim some glory and honor all in on, all on his own, on his own, can't get it out. All right, so Babylon here, <clears throat> in our passage, is symbolic of the world power 
uh, whoever it may be at that time. We do not know who it is. Uh, it was the title for Sodom because of wickedness. Uh, it was also the title for Egypt because of their cruelty. Uh, here it is generally accepted uh, that at this point in time the world power will be Rome. Uh, it will be called Babylon because of pride and idolatry. You think, what? <laughs> where does the idolatry come from? Uh, pride's easily uh, describable. I mean, you know, power, look at what I've done. Idolatry, we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, very soon, as a matter of fact. Uh, yeah, within the next few chapters. Yeah. Uh, the preacher's complete homiletical commentary says this, and I quote, The type of all cities that stand in the pride of self-reliance and so put dishonor upon God is not this great Babylon which I have builded, uh, is the phrase in Daniel 4 and verse 30. Babylon is clearly an emblem of some principles which have been more or less accepted by all nations and which will more or less involve all in the consequences of their fall. So there's, I guess you could say that phrase, there's a little Babylon in all of us. That, that's true there. Uh, the next phrase, is fallen, is fallen. Uh <clears throat> This is the Greek word pipto, P-I-P-T-O, pipto. It means a reduplicated and contracted form. Uh, well, no, actually that's what this word is. It's a, it's a contracted form of the word uh, petomai. Sorry, I was trying to read ahead myself. I got too far. Uh, petomai, P-E-T-O-M-A-I. That means to fly. So here it means to fly, to fly. And it means to descend from a high place to a lower, to fall under judgment, to cast down from a state of prosperity. So the fly that we're thinking is means like a bird flying in, in elevating itself. No, this is to fly as in falling like a rock, trying to fly. <laughs> the opposite of what we think. Uh, J. Vernon McGee in his commentary, he says this Greek word, pipto, uh, is in the prophetic aorist tense. In other words, God's prophetic word is so pure that he speaks as though the event had already taken place. It is just as sure as if it were history already, end quote. And we've had aorist tense uh, verbs, uh, aorist tense phrases before. And, and it is such a strong, powerful statement that, yeah, it's literally spoken of as although it hasn't happened yet that it's it's history it it's you mark it down it's done it's a done deal so this ants uh this angel is announcing something as though it has already happened and the repetition of the word fallen or the phrase is fallen uh <clears throat> represents an announcement of the failure of two systems now you remember Babylon represents the religious system, which we're going to describe in chapter 17 later on. And it also, secondly, represents the uh, governmental system, which we'll talk about in chapter 18. So Babylon, uh, as a whole, is two systems. And, and you'll see how that works out. Uh, basically, the 
religious system actually ends up collapsing and is taken over by the political or the government system of chapter 18. And that's where the beast wants to have all the power for himself. Remember, there's the false prophet and the beast, the Antichrist. Well, the Antichrist wants all the power and ends up taking it all uh, for himself there. Uh, the next phrase, that great city. That great city. Now, this phrase emphasizes the arrogance of humanism and its pride of accomplishment apart from God. And we've seen that in, in the book of Daniel, chapter 4, verses 30 through 33. It says, The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers, and his nails like birds' claws. God showed Nebuchadnezzar a lesson, and he learned it. He sure did. He learned it. Too bad he didn't pass it to his children, but he learned it. C.H. Uh, Spurgeon uh, in one of his books, he said, and I quote, Most men quarrel with this uh, sovereignty of God, but mark the thing that you complain of in God is the very thing that you love in yourselves. Every man likes to feel that he has a right to do with his own as he pleases. We all like to be little sovereigns. Oh, for a spirit that bows always before the sovereignty of God, end quote. And we do, don't we? We all like to think we're in control, we're in power. I want to live my life my way, you know. And 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 God does give us uh, some liberties to a point, but but usually, what happens is we end up, you know, uh, taking it more than than what God meant for it to be. Now, God in His sovereignty not only has the capability, but also the right as our Creator to actively step into our lives and alter the course we have set for ourselves usually for the sole purpose of getting our attention or preparing us for use in his sovereign plans. Uh, think about Abraham, whom he started an entire nation from. He had to call him out from his own people. And I'm not sure Sarah was very, uh, oh yeah, let's go. No, where are we going? When are we getting there? Exactly where are we going? And who is this God that told you? All to... <laughs> you know how that could be. <laughs> Got to have all the details. Uh, Moses in Midian. Uh, he was drawn out to lead this nation out of bondage. Uh, Gideon. Uh, to lead an army. David was to kill a giant. Hezekiah was given seven more years of life to perform a, a certain task God had set aside for him there. Uh, Daniel chapter 4, verse 34, 37. It says, And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes into heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Notice how that my goes to he now. He learned his lesson. Verse 35, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time, my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor 
and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the kingdom or the king of heaven, all whose works are truth, and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. End quote. Well, not end quote, but in the scripture. <laughs> but yeah, it's a quote from Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he, he really learned his lesson. I, th I think he really did. Uh, so, again, this phrase, great city, is spoken of here. Uh, it's commonly believed to be Rome. Now, we do know that this religious system that comes about is going to be worldwide. It could actually end up being uh, Islam. <laughs> I mean, that is kind of, you know, uh, hard to think. But, the, but remember this. Remember how this whole thing started with Abraham to begin a nation. And he had so much time and nothing happened. So he said, well, all right, we've got to make things happen ourselves. So he had Ishmael. And then all of a sudden, Sarah gets pregnant and has Isaac. So you had Ishmael and Isaac. Isaac is the father of the Israelites, the Jewish people. Ishmael is the head of the Islamic people. So it, <laughs> the two warring factions. Uh, it makes sense to me that it could be. So we like to throw Rome out there because that's, that's the current trend. Okay, But nothing says that that's it for sure. Um. Let's see. Uh, I'm trying to figure out where this comment come from. I don't know where this quote come from, but here it is. Uh, in the ancient days, Babylon to the prophets had been the very incarnation of power and lust and luxury and sin. And to the early Jewish Christians, Babylon seemed to have been reborn in the lust and luxury and immorality of Rome. The fall of Babylon to Cyrus the Persian had been one of the shattering events on ancient history. The very words with the revelation uses are echoes of those in which the ancient prophets had foretold that fall. Um, and he answered and said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, said Isaiah. And all the graven images of her gods had, he hath broken unto the ground, in Isaiah 21.9. And then Jeremiah 51.8 says, Babylon is suddenly fallen and destroyed. Okay, um, so that covers the ruin part of it. Now let's look at the second part of that verse uh, in the reason. Second part of verse 8. Because she made all nations drink. Uh, now Spurgeon suggests this phrase indicates spiritual fornication. Uh, for example, idolatry, the setting up of the visible object or worship instead of the invisible God. Uh, and to that argument, he says, and I quote, and, where, and what is there in all the world that is so idolatrous as the so-called religion of Rome. She multiplieth her idol gods to great excess, her crosses and her crucifixes, her saints and her sanctuses, her sacraments and her relics, her old cast clouts, and her old rotten rags. The papacy is the most paganish of all the paganisms that have ever existed on the face of the earth, but it is to come to an end, for the mouth of the Lord hath said so. Adam Clark mentions the custom of harlots in the Old Testament days who used uh, fill trees or love portions to seduce men to their will. And I quote, uh, And these potions are generally of an intoxicating nature, greatly inflaming the blood and disturbing the intellect. 
fornication and adultery are frequently used in Scripture as emblems of idolatry and false worship. Uh, the next phrase, <clears throat> of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Uh, now this phrase is an expression uh, for the wine cup of a harlot who uses it to weaken a man's resolve against her seduction. Adam Clark says, and I quote, No nation of the earth spread their idolatry so far as the ancient Romans. They were as extensive as their conquests, and papal Rome has been not less active in disseminating her superstitions. She has given her rituals, but not the everlasting gospel to most nations of the earth. Jeremiah 51.7 says, Babylon hath been a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunken. The nations have drunken of her wine, therefore the nations are mad. William Barclay says in his commentary, I quote, The idea is that Babylon had been a corrupting force which had lured the nations into a kind of insane immorality. The background is the picture of a prostitute persuading a man into immorality by filling him full of wine, so that he could no longer resist her wiles. Rome has been like that, like some glittering prostitute seducing the world. And then Matthew Henry says, and I quote, Observe, one, what God has foreordained and foretold shall be done as certainly as if it were done already. Number two, the greatness of the papal Babylon will not be able to prevent her fall, but will make it more dreadful and remarkable. Number three, the wickedness of Babylon in corrupting, debauching, and intoxicating the nations round about her will make her fall just and will declare the righteousness of God in her utter ruin. Her crimes are recited as the just cause of her destruction. Okay, uh, that's the end of that section, and we'll pick up with the third and final section of chapter 14 in the next podcast, so uh, we'll stop there. And once again, I will say I'm glad you joined me on this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've learned something, uh, get something out of it. And uh, hopefully you'll join me on the next podcast. Let me remind you again to continue to pray, continue to read, and study God's Word on your own. Um, I put these notes out there to kind of help us, and and we should all study it on our own, though. Uh, It helps us to grow individually. Um, so again, thank you for joining. Uh, hopefully you'll join me on the next podcast and have a, a great and blessed day. God bless you.